Welcome to Tales of the Lesser Medium, a podcast that pokes fun at video game narratives. Each season, me, Caleb J. Ross, and my co-host, Travis Terry, take you through our favorite video game franchise narratives, taking time along the way for humorous skits to make you laugh and to make us have a legitimate reason to lock ourselves away from people as we record these episodes for you, people suck. So far, so good. Last time, we joked our way through Tomb Raider 1 following Laura through all of her narrow escapes and near deaths. Lara. Lara. What? Lara. You, it's Lara. You keep saying Laura. No, yeah, Laura. No, her name is Lara. Like Lars Ulrich from Metallica, not Laura. Yeah, you're saying the same thing. No, I'm not. I corrected you in the last episode about this, but you continued uh... to say it wrong the entire time. I can't let you keep dragging Lara's name through the mud. Through the what? The mud. Oh, you mean the maud? No, I, I, I don't mean that. Oh no, you mean no, I don't. Stop it! Stop it! God what you said? damn it! I loathe you so much. Oh, I love you too, Travis. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, I will try my hardest to respect Lara, Lara's <laughs> name this time. I honestly think it's like a lazy mouth thing for me. I recently played the video game The Turing Test, and in my video review, I kept calling it the Turing Test. Well, lazy mouth thing adds up. Um, the what? <laughs> the what? Test? The, the the Turing test. The game is called the Turing test, but I kept calling it the Turing test. Okay, now you are literally saying the same thing. I'm on your side. <laughs> You're a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are not here to talk about my crippling tongue lethargy. We are here to talk about Tomb Raider 2. We have so many questions that need to be answered. But really just one question. Uh, I said so many to make it dramatic, yeah. and that makes it seem like I'm not trying to shoehorn this one question into the intro of the episode. And that question is, is Lara still a zoo terrorist? Yeah. In the first Tomb Raider game, Lara killed a lot of animals, mm -hmm. including, you know, all of the bears, bats, gorillas, hell, even a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And she, she's probably responsible for more extinctions than the <laughs> meteor that took out the dinosaurs, and, and she killed she killed dinosaurs. <laughs> Hopefully in this Tomb Raider 2, she punches a meteor. Dude. <laughs> but in Tomb Raider 2, we'll get to see if Lara's more reserved, to see if she's given up the animal-killing lifestyle in favor of people-killing, like only God hope. intended. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with what kind of impact the game had on popular culture. As we noted in our previous episode, the first Tomb Raider game was important for many reasons. Not only did it star a female protagonist, which was incredibly rare at the time, but in terms of gameplay, Tomb Raider would act as a template for many 3D platformer games to come. Tomb Raider 2, released just one year after Tomb Raider in 1997, sold over 8 million copies by 2003, which is 1 million more than its predecessor. Oh, wow. Take that, Tomb Raider 1. Yeah. Tomb Raider 2 also has a strong Metacritic score of 85 compared to the first game's 91. People really liked killing animals in 1996, I suppose. We begin our journey at Lara's mansion. She's outside in her courtyard and mentions to her feeble butler, who looks on warily, that due to last year's grueling experience, she has created a training course. The grueling experience being, of course, the happenings of our last episode. Well... The happenings we described in our last episode, the actual episode itself wasn't really the grueling experiences she was training to get rid of. Uh, that's that we're, we're better than that. Speak for yourself, man. I, I sweated <laughs> the whole I had swamp ass. I nearly died. <laughs> this course is the game's way of presenting a tutorial in an explainable way while offering a glimpse into Lara's lavish home life. Her estate is massive. Both of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's a good one. No, that was good. We'll keep it in. <clears throat> Her estate is massive. The giant red brick mansion is surrounded by high walls and a hedge maze on one side follows the perimeter, complete with a giant statue of a fish huh. and secret tunnels and passageways connecting various parts of the home. That's right. Lars Architect is every seven-year-old boy. They do love big, giant statues of fish. That I know. <laughs> I, I remember making floor plans for my dream home when I was a kid. I, I don't know what inspired me to do it. I was very into just architectural drafting when I was a small child, um, which is why I was really popular. And I had to, you know, I would draw it out. I'd have all the doors and the stairways and the windows. And I would always go show my mom like, hey, mom, one day when I'm, you know, real important, I'll, I'll buy you a home. And of course, she died before I could do that. God. But um, I would always have like roller skating rinks in there and I'd be like, yeah, and this is like the arcade and this is this and this is that. And she'd be like, is there a, a kitchen? And I'd be like, oh, oh, I forgot to say, like, this room here is the Domino's. This is the Papa John's. Like, you don't need a kitchen. Just put restaurants in your house, you know? <laughs> My son once asked for a McDonald's worker for Christmas. Wow. He wanted someone to make mcdonald's food for him and he thought that's kind of how it worked and i was like so you want a slave my son is asking for a slave <laughs> for christmas seven-year-old boys i don't know if you're a good boy i guess <laughs> um <laughs> after the brief introduction to lara and her skills a cutscene plays out the scene is one of war in what appears to be ancient china soldiers launch arrows from a wall others march with helmets and swords an enormous dragon-like creature lurches alongside in the background the dragon raises its head to peer over the wall and spews fire from its mouth. A flanking soldier, a Tibetan monk, launches an arrow into its neck, causing it to cease its fiery assault and turn its attention toward him. The giant lizard lumbers toward him and spews fire over his head, and as it does, the monk notices a glowing object in the dragon's chest. Whoa! Yes, the dragon is Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> the dragon lurches low to spew fire, but the soldier has snuck behind him and reaches to grab the object, which happens to be a dagger. He pulls the dagger from the dragon, and it begins to glow, appearing magical. The dragon, realizing this, shoots one last gasp of fire at the man now holding the dagger, burning him, but not killing him. The dragon, however, dies on the spot. Its flesh melts away, exposing only its bones. The monk takes the dagger with him and seems to know where it needs to go. He sneaks into a tomb where a stone pedestal with an ornamental dragon's head rests on top. The monk inserts the dagger into the mouth of the dragon and it lights up with a purple glow. The monk is engulfed by the light and the door to the tomb shuts and seals itself. The title screen now appears. This is Tomb Raider 2. All right! <laughs> A helicopter swoops down over the Great Wall of China. God, I hope it's not one from Resident Evil. <laughs> it wouldn't be in the air very long at all. Everybody, get away! <laughs> Lara kicks open the door and extends a rope to rappel down toward the ground. She lands on her feet just a few meters from the wall in front of the cave and enters armed with her dual pistols and a shotgun. Why is Lara here? To find that dagger, of course. Did someone say da dagger? She says. She kicks open the door. <laughs> Sorry. Dagger? Barely newer, right? <laughs> right? Is that right? No? The dagger is called the Dagger of Xi'an. The legend says that whoever stabs themselves in the heart with it becomes a dragon. Idiots believe that legend. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the first guy who tested that out? Anyway. The dragon in the opening cutscene was Emperor Qinxi Huang of China, who used the powers of the dagger to conquer territories. The monks of Tibet stood against him, slayed him, and took the dagger. 
the entrance to the tomb is believed to have been discovered, and Lara sets out to sneak her way in to retrieve the powerful ancient artifact. She's greeted very soon by a tiger holding up in the cave, and as Lara does, she defends herself by... Oh, wait, I got, I got it, I got it. She Okay, so by diplomatically negotiating a peace between herself, the legendary peacekeeping artifact retrieving famous novelist Lara Croft, and all of tiger kind. Sort of. And she kills it. Ah. Yeah. She exits out through the top of the cave that allows her access to the Great Wall of China. She runs across the top of the wall, but she needs a key to access a door to continue on. With nowhere to go, she spots a body of water off to the side and dives in, and lo and behold, finds a key in the back of an underwater cave. Once back out of the water, a tiger tries to maul her, but she dispatches it and makes her way back to the wall. The next section of the Great Wall reintroduces many familiar Lara-killing contraptions. A long hallway pits Lara against a barrage of arrows where the only recourse is to grip the ledge and shimmy past to avoid death. She runs across a bridge that crumbles under each step and she finds a sloping path where not one but two perfectly round boulders chase her. The boulders are back, ladies and gentlemen. She jumps over blood-covered spikes and even has to hurry through a room as spike walls slowly close in on her. If this opening sequence is any indication of harrowing feats Lara must pull off in this campaign, it's sure to be several notches more difficult than her last excursion with Notla. Lara makes her way from the wall back down to another cave system. Bats lurk around, but not much else in the way of living threats, at least not until she takes a zip line that leads her into a very deep and dark underground channel. And guess what lurks in this dark, damp, lifeless chasm? Hmm. A Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah, oh. our old friend. Likely not the same one encountered in Peru. But, hey, no, think about it. What if that Peruvian T-Rex survived and booked a commercial flight out here to whip her ass? <laughs> yeah. Uh, stewardess, uh, uh, stewardess, um, yeah, yeah, could I get some peanuts, please? Thanks. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, and one more thing. Uh, uh, come, come close, please. Um. There's a late Crustaceous-era lizard beside me, and he won't stop snoring and mumbling to himself about a revenge kill. Uh, can I can I move seats? Fucking Laura, shoot me. <laughs> King of the dinosaurs. Who the fuck does she think she is? See, he's been he's been like see he's been like this for the last hour, and I just don't feel comfortable. Bitch shot me. I'm gonna show her. Bitch shot me with my strong little arms i'm gonna i want to show her i'm gonna show her (laughs) once that one is defeated after several seconds of pistol fire a second t-rex joins the party lara vanquishes that one too but it takes a while with her pistols thankfully she brought along a near infinite amount of ammo for those pistols (laughs) wink wink (laughs) further in she finds a door that looks familiar to the player though perhaps not to lara It is the seal on the door from the opening cutscene where the Tibetan monk took the dagger. Presumably, he's still trapped inside, likely dead, and the dagger should be there waiting in the ornate dragon's mouth. Lara slowly walks up to the door to open it, but she is attacked from behind by a ninja assassin. Hmm, so So a person who assassinates ninjas? No, 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 a ninja who also assassinates. Assassinates ninjas. Sure, yeah. Bad ass. Bad ass. <laughs> the ninja's gunfire misses Lara. She turns to dodge his follow-up kick, sending him bouncing off the door to the tomb. 
She points a gun at him and demands answers. He tells her that since she's not a monk, she's not fit to enter, and that the door itself is waiting for the right one who believes to open it and claim the dagger. But first, they will need the Seraph. He tells her to pledge her sins and fortunes to Marco Bartoli, the man he works for. Then, he pulls a bottle out of his pocket, drinks the liquid, and chokes to death in front of her. Wow. Lara just watches, probably disappointed that she couldn't shoot him. She likes doing that. <laughs> the now-dead assassin is left lying in front of the door to the tomb. Lara decides to research what the man just said by using the laptop he apparently left nearby. Where are the shurikens and backflips? This ninja has a gun, an Italian boss, and a laptop computer? Yeah. That doesn't seem very ninja-like to me. That's what the true ninja would want you to think. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> who was this assassin and who sent him? The assassin's name is Claudio, and he works for Marco Bartoli, the leader of a cult called the Fiamanera, meaning Black Flame in Italian. He wishes to retrieve the dagger of Shihan and wishes to stop anyone else from attempting to use it. The tomb requires three artifacts to open, which are scattered all over the world. The first is the Seraph, likely aboard a sunken ship. The second and third are the prayer wheels and the Italian, believed to be hidden away in a Chinese monster. A Chinese mon monsterary. That's where the monsters of the Chinese <laughs> live. scary! <laughs> Off to Venice. Laura hits the streets of Venice running. The precise street is actually Via Caravelli and the address of Gianni Bartoli and his son Marco. Very soon after venturing down the street, Lara kills a dog. <laughs> likely, <laughs> likely a guard dog, let's hope, anyway. Uh, likely a guard dog to the estate, but she doesn't hesitate. Alerted by the gunfire, Fiamanera fire upon her when she comes into view. She kills one on the balcony and another coming at her through the alley. She, she runs and dives into a canal and under a boathouse door with a boat conveniently waiting. Hmm. She wants to take it, but she needs to find the key, which she is able to locate on one of the henchmen she killed earlier. Wow. Finally, a reasonable use of a key and a reasonable key location. Well, you know, they don't they don't show this, but the key is stored inside a balloon of cocaine. Hmm. In in his in his beehole. <laughs> his his balloon hole? Huh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> she takes the boat through the canals to access a separate part of the village where she ascends to the rooftops. Cult members are now actively searching for her with their dogs at the ready. She defends herself as best she can by firing on them before they fire on her, killing nearly a dozen men total. Only a dozen? That's that's not so bad. And three dogs. What? <laughs> Damn it, Laura. The, <laughs> the canals of Venice are tight and maze-like with gates barring entry from certain areas. Laura has to find the switches to release the gates to allow her to pass, but of course, cult members lurk all over. She comes to a roadblock, or rather a canal block, <laughs> where <laughs> she must speed the boat through the water and up a ramp, crashing through a window to land on some gondolas on the opposite side. She does exactly that and is now in the waterway that leads her straight to the front door of the Bartoli hideout. Did they hear her coming? Tough call. A lot of stuff going on there. I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> what about you? Uh, Yeah, they, they probably heard a boat hit the wooden ramp and crash through the window, but uh, that ramp is there for a reason. Form does follow function and all. Well, in the end, it doesn't matter. Uh, she parks her boat at the front door of the compound and marches in, guns blazing, wiping out everyone in sight like a scene from Scarface. <laughs> Once everyone in the initial compound are dead, she marches on in search of the Bartolis. 
She scales the outside of the buildings, hopping from balconies and awnings to avoid a fall into the canal below. She crashes through a window in one of the buildings where two cult members and a guard dog are waiting for her. Acrobatically jumping through the air, she fills all three with automatic pistol bullets before inspecting the fireplace where she finds a secret passageway laden with traps. It must lead somewhere, so she ventures forward. Wait, so like a search for treasure, mm-hmm. an Italian family of criminals, mm-hmm. a secret passageway under a fireplace. Mm-hmm. Is this the Goonies? <laughs> uh, if Sloth shows up, yeah, of course. Uh, if Sloth doesn't show up, though, uh, still probably yes, because I'm going to pretend the next T-Rex we see is wearing a Superman t-shirt and a pirate hat. Dude, that would be so adorable. <laughs> in the next room, Lara locates a library key hidden in a recess off the wall behind a painting. She heads toward the library. At some point, it would appear that the Bartolis are nowhere to be found. Perhaps they fled. I don't know. The compound is much bigger than she thought, with several partitions separated by canals and Fiamanera henchmen at every corner. At a dead end, Lara decides to blow up a wall of an area that seems to be blocking her way. She finds a detonator key just sitting on a table that conveniently goes to a detonator that, when pushed, explodes away a wall that gives her access to the area. Why this wall was rigged to explode and how Lara knew that is, well, odd. Indeed. (laughs) Once the wall is gone, she enters through the now open side of the building, ascends to the roof, and hops over to find a chute that descends her into the next area. Uh, When she stops sliding, she realizes that nighttime has arrived and she's still outside, forcing the player to question how long was that shoot? (laughs) Dude, seriously. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, if it was like a homeowner contractor scenario, contractor would be like, uh, hey, uh, I'm not following here. I understand you want us to build you a Uh shoot, Mm -hmm. but tell me again how long you want it to be. Long enough to shift suns and move the moon. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. Uh, well, the shoot must be exactly the length of space and time. When when you glimpse a butterfly cracking through its cocoon into a world at once brand new but forever static, the way tides will come and tides will go forever until mortality itself shuffles loose its own mortal coil. <laughs> that is how long the shoot must be. <laughs> Uh, so is that metric? Uh, six meters, okay. Hmm. And m- make sure there's a handrail above the opening. I cannot have my victims injuring themselves before falling victim to my whimsy. <laughs> Maniac alert. I, I do, I enjoy how our uh, our contractor and homeowner are not Italian. And uh, this is clearly in Italy, but that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> uh, judging by uh, my attempted British accent in the last episode, uh, <laughs> I, I, all of my accents are going to be fake accents from this point forward. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Veiled by darkness, Lara deftly maneuvers and muscles for rank. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cake. That <laughs> <laughs> was so dumb. Okay. <clears throat> Veiled by the darkness, Laura deftly maneuvers throughout the rest of the enormous compound, hopping along roofs, scaling along edges, and even descending through underwater tunnels with her torch. Whoa, wait, wait, what was that? So, so wait, her, I, I'm confused too. Her torch works underwater? Yeah. Huh. I bet that shoot contractor built it. <laughs> I'll build whatever you want, but you've got to tell me if it's metric. 
<laughs> I want a fire that defies the very laws which <laughs> give. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Met- metric, come on. Someone throw me a bone. <laughs> the torch must be alive underwater. It's it's like use fire, but then remove the very uh, weakness that allows fire to be contained. I, I just want an all-power fire that goes underwater. Can, I do can you like do that the, for me? the contractors just staring at you, holding a ruler like, that does not answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're saying. Somehow. I just need to know how long you want it. <laughs> I, I, that is great. The contractor, he's very confident in his skills. He can do whatever you want. He's just a measure twice, cut once kind of guy. Exactly. You know? I respect the hell out of him. I like this contractor. He's a good guy. Lara is still in search of where the Bartolis are hiding, but must focus on finding a series of switches in hard-to-reach places in order to open the doors blocking her path. Hmm. She finds herself inside an opera house, but can't get behind the curtain. She assumes something important is hidden behind it and must find a way of powering the mechanism that raises it. She finds the circuit board deep underground in stagnant water. Does it still work? Well, Lara hopes. To get back where she needs to test it, she makes her way through the opera house's ventilation system, crawling through the ducts. Crawling through the ducts. Ducts. Crawling through the ducts. <laughs> crawling through... I'm just... Yeah. It's, it, that's the way it's going to sound. <laughs> she barely avoids being minced by the large fans inside. Finally, at the theater control room, she inserts the circuit board into the slot and pulls the lever, opening the curtain. Now, why Lara couldn't just go under the curtain or find another way around is not explained. Uh, the curtain is fabric, not an iron curtain. <laughs> that contractor. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like endless shoots, underwater fire, and fabric that doesn't fold. Now, that curtain, I know for a fact, is 18 meters across. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Once behind the curtain, she's surrounded by towers of wooden crates, presumably for storing props. Doberman guard dogs sniff her out and begin to attack, so she takes the high ground to avoid their vicious bites. Once the dogs are dealt with, she can hear footsteps approaching from the distance. They seem heavier than the others. This is a bigger threat than the usual cult member. Sure enough, from the darkness emerges a larger cult member than the others, holding two automatic rifles, one in each hand. Wow. (laughs) I want to see, like, just once a henchman not understand dual wielding. He just holds both guns in one hand and is having such a hard time pulling both triggers with one finger. (laughs) Okay, I got got this, I got this, I got this. Okay, I got my left hand gun and my right hand gun. Okay, I'm going to aim the right hand gun. Oh, I just pulled my left hand finger. I just, sh- oh, I just shot out the goddamn light. Okay, let me get this right again. Right hand gun, left hand gun, right hand finger. I, I just blew my toe off. This is very hard to do. This is very hard to do. <laughs> and and he's just there, like shooting up all of that contractor's good, like fabric work for the curtain <laughs> yeah. too. Like doesn't even care. God, this guy's a jerk. He walks calmly toward her, like the Terminator. Lara doesn't even take the time to make a sarcastic remark as usual. She simply pulls her Uzis out of her holster, one for each hand, and doesn't (laughs) let go of the trigger until that giant man falls. His last words are like, oh, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lara, for mentoring me. He manages to get some shots off, but with darkness on Lara's side, he misses. I didn't quite get it. I almost got it. (laughs) (laughs) Lara discovers a secret door that accesses a loading zone. 
There's a plane at the end of the walkway. She sneaks on board, which is against TSA guidelines, but I guess she just doesn't care about the law anymore. <laughs> perhaps the Bartolis are inside, or perhaps the plane will take her to them. Once on board, she opens one of the cargo crates, the same ones that were in the Opera House prop area. She finds nothing of interest, but then overhears a conversation from the cockpit. It's Marco Bartoli Ooh. talking to his pilot, Fabio. Now, Fabio is worried about their plan and thinks Marco is too desperate in his search. The plan is to venture into the shipwreck of the Maria Doria for the Seraph, one of the three pieces required to access the Tomb of the Dagger. Fabio suggests that the tide has gulped it away and they won't find it. Marco is offended by Fabio's doubt. Marco then tells Fabio, When my father left when I was just a boy, he confided to me <laughs> that he was enlightened. He beckoned by something greater than impulse. He possessed the seraph, but he was just a disciple in his design. His death plotting a path to be sought by the one, his son. You understand? Have faith, Fabio, not gut rot. We are searching the right place. <laughs> I'd believe him. Then he was like, <clears throat> sorry about that. So when my father... <laughs> <laughs> I have I have an Italian frog in my throat. So I get that. Hey, this meatball! I keep choking on your mother's meatballs. <laughs> At this point, Lara has ventured close to the steps that lead up to the cockpit, so she can hear more. But now Marco has gotten up and has decided to walk to the back of the plane, just to make sure all of his theater props are still back there. <laughs> As he's about to descend. Lara brandishes her pistols, prepared to defend herself, or more likely, coldly murder Marco Bartoli. But then suddenly, a previously unseen Fiamanera cult member, who must have been hiding in the back of the plane, approaches Lara from behind and knocks her out. Oh. In the next cutscene, the plane lands safely on the water just outside of an offshore oil rig. Two giant doors open, the plane motors inside. Next, Lara finds herself on the ground and no longer in the plane's holding bay, She's been offloaded along with several crates. It appears that the cult member knocked her out, but then did nothing else. Just offloaded her like anything else on the plane. Puzzling, sure, but at least Lara is still alive and likely very close to finding the Seraph, or at least where Marco believes it is. Lara realizes she's without her weapons and decides to check the plane. To do so, she'll need to distract the nearby guards. She purposefully sets off an alarm that sends them scrambling to investigate. She's then able to climb back into the plane, which again is parked on water inside the rig's bay. Sure enough, she locates her pistols in the back of the holding bay. Rearmed, she sets off to locate Marco or the Seraph, whichever comes first. Hmm. The oil rig is positioned somewhere in the middle of the Adriatic Sea between the Balkans and Italy. The rig itself is a massive maze of interconnected passages, diving pools, generators, boilers, and other nondescript equipment. Such as uh, rotary blades. Mm -hmm. uh, suction ropes were in there. Yeah, uh, uh, wrench sque squeegees. Oh, you can't, you can't forget those. Uh, fallopian cutters. Well, if you have fallopian cutters, then you have to have fallopian sealers. Makes sense. Uh, oh, plunger shrapnel. Ah, yes. And well, and then um, um, m m monkey detonators. <laughs> that last one sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, those are on every uh, oil rig I've ever been on. Very, very standard equipment, yeah. Sea monkeys uh, are dangerous. Cult, cult members are scattered through... <laughs> I just heard that. <laughs> <laughs> cult members are scattered throughout the oil rig. The tight quarters here mean that Lara has less room to maneuver as she's accustomed to for dodging the return fire of her enemies. Thankfully here, 
Most of the cult members are armed with bats, not guns, though there are some with assault rifles and others with shotguns. After downing these goons, Lara takes their weapons, restocking her arsenal. She makes her way through the rig, finding keycards on the downed Fiamanera that grant her access onward, as well as finding hard-to-reach accesses that allow her to suppress other blocked-off areas. There are areas where Lara must re-enter the water to access switches and levers. The cult members are not averse to water either, as some are outfitted with scuba gear and underwater weapons, including fire arrows. Nowhere is safe. Finding nothing in the lower part of that rig, Lara ascends upward. A pair of ladders, each about 60 feet tall, take her up the side of a vertical concrete tunnel. She reaches what is considered the diving area, where many more armed cult members and Dobermans are on guard. In the diving pools, more armed scuba divers lurk and wait, which present a unique challenge for Lara. Despite her weaponry being waterproof, evident by the fact that she's in and out of water frequently and her weapons are still deadly, she is unable to fire them underwater, so coming face to face with an armed scuba, Fiamanera means Lara must retreat to the surface and fire on the enemy when outside of the water. Huh. Now, see, that's kind of interesting because uh, she's she's able to deftly swim around all the time, and it just occurred to me that, yes, she has at least ten guns on her at all, at all times. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I I don't think those guns were crafted by the same uh, contractor that we met earlier. No. Otherwise, they'd be able to work just fine underwater. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That's mm-hmm, a really good point, mm-hmm. yeah. Finally, she makes her way to the very top of the rig platform and helipad. A chopper has just landed. Three armed men disembark. Lara doesn't ask questions and kills them on the spot. She then races <laughs> toward the chopper in the hopes of boarding it, but it leaves before she can. Hoping Marco hasn't escaped and that the Seraph is still nearby, she continues on. Just on the side opposite of the helipad is a circuit board that she reckons could operate a door she passed earlier but could not access. She takes it and makes her way back down, and sure enough, the door opens. Man, I love a convenient Uh world where shit like that just happens. (laughs) Yeah, although if you're abiding by the convenience of that world, wouldn't it be more convenient if the Seraph, like, just arrived at her doorstep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's 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 very selective convenience. There's also the conundrum of these guys are constantly using this door, and do they have to go get that circuit board every time they have to use the bathroom on the other side of the building? <laughs> yeah, it's like when you go to a gas station and they have to tie like a <laughs> comically large like piece of wood or doll to a key. Yeah, there's so like a hubcap hanging off of it. Exactly. See, that would make this believable. She found the circuit board. There's a big hubcap hanging off of it. I'd be like, well, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. <laughs> On the other side of this door is a heavily guarded area that Lara really has no interest in, but she must find another circuit board. This one operates a saw blade that is currently engaged above a red keycard. She needs that red keycard, but she'll need the circuit board to shut off the saw. She locates the circuit on a cult member after she kills him, of course, and is able to shut off the saw and retrieve the red keycard. How do cult members get around this place? With all of the hidden switches and traps that prevent access to necessary keycards. I don't, oh, I don't know. Shit. And there's just saws running constantly. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to guess they're a puzzle cult. <laughs> so the Freemasons? Oh my god. Mm-mm. Finally, Lara accesses a secret passage above a holding cell. She overhears Marco Bartoli talking to someone else. She hears him say, Butter ants! <clears throat> Butter answers, I have no preference. He should spill a bit of both. <laughs> he gets he gets worse at reading whenever he's not Italian. <laughs> hey, hey, what's you know? Hey, 
<laughs> he just says, hey, when he's confused. <laughs> and then he hears whoever he's speaking to get smacked. She arms herself with her Uzis and descends from above, killing two cult members in the room. Where is Marco? Hey, the I'm monk... over here. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm confused. Uh... Hey. The monk is badly wounded and lying on the ground. As Lara approaches, he sits up to speak to her. He recognizes she's not one of them and says his name is Brother Chan Barkhang. He explains who he is and tells Lara the history of the Seraph that Marco's after. He explains to her what we already know about how the Seraph is critical to unlocking the dagger in the Tibetan tomb. Out of view, Lara finds some scuba gear hanging on a rack. And as this monk speaks, she gets undressed in front of him and puts the Ooh. scuba gear on. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and, be and because this is the fully polygonal PlayStation 1 Lara Croft, the monk's eyes were immediately <laughs> punctured, and now he's blind. <laughs> hey, wait, that's a good point. Maybe he was blind already, and that's why he never reacts to this. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Aren't monks often blind? I don't know anything about them. Yeah. No, I think they're born blind, right? That's what makes them monks. We might, like need that. To, we might need to read into this. <laughs> <laughs> we just got canceled in most of east asia <laughs> no they're also deaf so good <laughs> so they've been listening to this podcast for for no reason really good thank god thank god they're deaf <laughs> brother barking politely doesn't react to lara's garment switching and continues speaking meanwhile marco slips in from a catwalk above and quietly aims his silenced pistol at the monk shooting him twice in the chest and killing him before he can say more Lara turns quickly and fires, but misses as Marco ducks away. In the next area, Lara can hear a buzzer sounding off. She decides to run in that direction and fires behind her as she runs at Marco, who tries to shoot back. Once in the next area, she's just in time to see a small yellow submarine submerge beneath the water. She dives in after it as she assumes it's on its way to locating the Seraph far beneath the ocean. Mm. The submersible craft... The submersible craft plummets toward the seafloor, with Lara holding tight to the top, conserving her oxygen merely by pinching her nose, <laughs> unaware of how far <laughs> down it will go, or if she will ever breathe again. Sharks begin to circle, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Hey, baby shark! Get mommy shark and daddy shark over here! Check out this dummy pinching her nose under the water! She don't got no gills! <laughs> <laughs> This that shark is way away from his homeland. That's quite a swim. Good job, shark. Yeah, those New York sharks, you know them. You know them. Uh, well, but actually, though, upon further inspection, I think those aren't sharks. I think they might actually be barracudas. God damn it. Okay. Hey, Bentley Barracuda! Get Nancy Barracuda out here and our white Barracuda out here. Look at this here booby fish trying to deep sea swim without any breathing slits in her neck. <laughs> How's that? You like that better? Asshole? I think it's great. You know, right. it, it's it's like I've always said, Alabamans are just land barracudas. <laughs> <laughs> you talk to anybody that I've ever talked to ever in the history of my life, and that's the first thing they'll tell you. It's like, yeah, Caleb, and he goes on and on about Alabamans just being land barracudas. Yeah, they're like, roll tide, and then they answer with land barracudas. That's how Alabamans <laughs> greet each other. Does that make sense? It is. I, yeah, it adds up now. <laughs> the pilot of the submersible realizes something or someone is attached to the craft, so he attempts to use the mechanical claw arm on the vessel to reach for it. But Lara dodges out of the way. As the pilot is preoccupied with the claw, he misses a giant great white shark coming straight for them. So he swerves to the left and crashes into a rocky seafloor, scattering wreckage around. In critical need of oxygen, Lara somehow spies a cave entrance on the seafloor. 
there's an air pocket in the cave that she's able to reach by swimming frantically toward the surface. Whew. Once she gathers air, she realizes she's not in a cave. She's in a sunken ship. We did it! Could it be the Maria Doria, where the Seraph is likely hiding? Mm. Throughout the inside of the ship are water-filled passages. Lara must swim through them as she finds air pockets in the claustrophobic and maze-like ship layout. To Lara's surprise, though, she's not alone. It's unclear whether Fiamma and Nera henchmen were sent in after Lara, or if they were already here for some reason. The latter option might be the most likely, as most of them aren't in suitable diving gear. However, some of the cult divers are lurking in the passageways as well. Yeah, I wish just for a moment Lara would be like, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! I don't know why she talks like that. <laughs> hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Everybody <laughs> stop shooting for just a second! The fuck are y'all doing here? That's my best, Lara. Because according to the conversation with his co-pilot, Marco only suspect only suspected... This is where the Seraph was. So if he had goons stationed uh, inside a sunken ship, then that means maybe he knew it was there, uh -huh. or at least he knew that he'd already been there. Somebody had already been there. So maybe he'd just not found the... I don't know. I'm perplexed. I don't get why uh, the guys yeah. are down there. Now, my guess is that Marco has other henchmen squads across the world that he has stationed at other impossibly out-of-the-way areas. There's another Lara Croft, a... a, a Clara Loft currently fighting <laughs> altar boys in a mountain cavern somewhere. Yeah, and, infinite universes here. Right. I, yeah, like in, like the fringe and Marla Croft is snapping the necks of alcoholics at a at an AA meeting and floating <laughs> Ferris wheels over in North Carolina. You know, I'm behind you on that. That's the Tomb Raider game we need. Yeah, Ferris wheel raider. Laura <laughs> does encounter Barracudas, uh, Alabamans. Sorry, uh, yeah. let me make sure people understand. Laura does. <laughs> Lara does encounter barracudas on her swim through the ship's passages. She continues to swim for what feels like miles throughout the ship in search of levers that open doors and passageways so she can access more and more of the ship in search of derelict goods. Now, it's important to note that when you think of a ship that might have an artifact hidden away deep within, you might be thinking of a large wooden vessel. But the ship Lara must navigate is a giant, rusted metal ship that sank only in recent history. In oh. fact, it is said that the father of Brother Chan, the monk we had just witnessed get murdered, was the one who sunk the ship. Huh. Okay. Lara leaves the rusty cargo hold of the ship and accesses an upper floor that is more ornate and decorated. Think of the Titanic. Lara encounters less and less water-filled areas and can traverse through the ventilation shafts. She can cover a lot of ground in the ship this way. However, the passageways are pitch black, and she needs a flare to see. There are also plenty of cult members here lying in wait, only revealing themselves with the muzzle flash of their guns. Lara has to be careful and ensure she sees them first if she's to survive. Ooh. Speaking of the Titanic, uh, the Maria Doria is also split into two parts, mm. just like the Titanic. Lara completes her search in one half of the ship and exits to investigate the other. She has to outwit a giant great white shark on her way to the other half, and upon entry to the other half, which happens to be the ship's living quarters, there are snake-like moray eels ready to pounce from the dark underwater recesses. Oh, wait, p pounce? Yeah. That action requires, like, legs, which, uh, I guess moray eels don't have? Okay, swim. They swim from the dark underwater recesses. Man, that doesn't sound very intimidating. I'll do pounce. I'll go with pounce. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps <laughs> perhaps unsurprisingly at this point, this half of the ship is also guarded by Fiamanera cult henchmen throughout. 
Much like the other half of the ship, portions are closed off by way of doors that require a pulled lever to access or a key. Ugh. The further into the ship she goes, the more Fiema Nera cult members she encounters, hinting that Lara must be getting close to something. Mm. She leaves each cult member she faces dead in her wake and moves on. Yeah, because she's in the water, so they're like literally in her wake. That was good. <laughs> clever. Clever. Subtlety is what this game's all about. Yeah. She exits the living quarters out onto the deck where passengers could stand and take in the view. As for now, the view is the inside of a cave, but not underwater like most of the ship. The cave has created an air pocket where the deck can be accessed without the need for swimming. It's split into two parts. The other edge of the deck has been twisted and turned upside down. So I'd like to take a minute, just sit right here. And tell you about how <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time it's happened. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Lara isn't the first to discover this shipwreck miracle. Cult members are already there and waiting. Of course they are. Of course. Just because the deck isn't underwater doesn't mean Lara's done with swimming, though. In fact, she needs to navigate the depths of the attached cave to find the Seraph. Along the way, she finds a chute that drops her into a life raft that's floating in a pool in a subchamber of a cave. Upon landing, a great white shark swims up to inspect the noise, but before it can go jaws on her, she manages to <laughs> shoot it to death. Of course. Uh, she then continues her hunt for the missing artifact. On the other end of the cave is a passageway that ascends upward to another detached portion of the ship where, again, somehow, cult members are already waiting for her. These fucking guys. <laughs> Every cult has to be like, has to, it worships something, right? Mm. And so these cult members must be praying every day to the god of labyrinth navigating. It, to, to David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie is their god. <laughs> He'd like that. <laughs> Lara must continue to wind in and out of caves and back through the ship as the mangled wreckage leaves an indirect path to the Seraph. Eventually, she makes it. All right. Tucked away at the far back recesses of a cave sits the golden artifact. Her stint through the shipwreck has taken several hours, and she's had to overcome dozens of men stationed here to kill her on sight. Now she must leave and find a way back to the surface. You know, I don't think it would have taken hours if you remember Greg, if she, uh, Greg the had, tour guide, right? The tour, yeah. If he was still around, I, I don't oh, think yeah. the shipwreck would have. It would have been over in a cinch. The guy knows everything. He knows his way around everywhere. <laughs> yeah okay uh he, okay um uh, let me think of let me try to get my british accent now <laughs> i'm laura this is great what, what's my accent initiator what's a good thing to say oh i could say crikey oh crikey <laughs> okay there we go <laughs> that's a very british term yes <laughs> i could say oi like that okay, yeah there we okay. go. uh greg uh can you lead me through the shipwreck that's uh, i don't know why that's a dude uh, uh, Greg, can, can you lead me through the shipwreck? No, no, I, I'm a land tour guide. Uh, well, well, Greg, uh, the land actually continues under the water, you know. No, no, it's, it is underwater, Laura. It is not land. <laughs> I do not swim. All right, uh, I guess I'll have to go on my own then. Um, thanks for nothing. Uh, oh, can you at least hold my gun while I change into my swimsuit? No problem. Oh. <laughs> I'll go. D <laughs> this is Greg. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll go with you, Lara. <laughs> Taking yet another one for the team. I hope this guy has several lives ahead of him. Lara, would you like to hold my gun? <laughs> 
using using a using a buoy she found somewhere deep down in the sea which is i think the opposite place of where buoys are supposed to be yeah what the fuck Uh, (laughs) how did it even get down there uh laura is see laura is seen clutching it with one hand like the statue of liberty as she rises toward the surface back at the oil rig laura spots the plane she arrived aboard parked in the bay there's no one else around because she has presumably killed all of the Fiaminera cult members here. She's able to back the plane out and get it going along the water and up into the sky with ease. Her destination? Uh, Tibet, of course. Hmm. The location of the Barkhang Monastery. Her next step toward finding the dagger at the Temple of Xi'an. All right. In the middle of flying over the high and snowy Tibetan mountains, Lara comes into some trouble. First, she hears a beeping noise and then notices all of the gauges in the cockpit turn off. Red lights illuminate the cabin, and lastly, the propellers stop turning. <laughs> All very bad signs when you're you in the air. You don't want those to happen. I agree. As the plane descends toward the rocky crags beneath, she tries her best to steer toward one of the very few open and snowy expanses, hoping to cushion the blow of the crash. In doing so, she clips between two mountains, and the wings on both sides of the plane fall away. This is getting worse. The fuselage becomes just a speeding bullet that crashes into the snow ahead, and doesn't stop. Ugh. It rifles along a snowy valley, not even slowing down from its flight speed. Laura knows it will eventually come to a stop, and it won't be pretty, so thinking fast, she hits the pilot eject button and a door above her swings open, and she's lifted into the air by a parachute just a split second before the plane hits a rock. Her parachute lands close by, and thankfully, she somehow manages to have all of her weapons with her. (laughs) Also, she packed a nice thick coat. Uh, She's now stranded somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. (laughs) Good God. Thank God she brought that coat. (laughs) No, I think she made it on her way. I I, I would not be surprised (laughs) if every animal she killed, she added to this patchwork quilt, like a a memory quilt of sorts. You know, she has like, uh, she has... The main sort of jacket part is just like the skin of a T-Rex. Yeah. Um, and she's got some like bird feathers glued to the shoulders, right? Right. She's got like a lion's mane around the neck part. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it smells like fish. <laughs> There's not even fish in it. It's just that's part of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they had to represent them somehow, yeah. <laughs> there could be like um, like a gorilla's tail like st- stitched to it, you know? I, well, I, I don't think. Gorillas, I don't think they have tails. Well, not anymore. Well, Laura took him. <laughs> Her stint in the foothills of Tibet kick off with a bang as she's immediately attacked by an eagle. Oh, shit. Which is good because the flight actually ruined some of her shoulder feathers from her jacket. So this is helpful. <laughs> a new This is a new enemy for her to keep watch for from the air. She deals with it as she deals with all of her problems and shoots it. And marches on, hmm. uh, searching for any sign of a road leading to a village or people. Oh, good. She makes her way through a deep snow-filled canyon where rolling avalanches of snow start coming toward her. She dodges in time, but is then attacked by a snow leopard that was lying in wait, presumably for this very moment. <laughs> Jackpot. She kills it, but that makes two natural enemies. Laura will need to be on the watch for here. Jeez, eagles and snow leopards. Wasn't that a... I think I got tickets to that concert. Uh, Snow Leopards <laughs> opened, and the Eagles, they were they were past their prime at this point. It was, a, it was a decent show. It was a decent show. Hotel California is never not good. So. <laughs> Eclipsing a snowy cliff, Lara spies a dwelling ahead. Hopeful, she makes her way toward it, but soon realizes that the men standing around it are on high alert 
and carrying assault rifles. Perhaps they were startled by the sound of the nearby plane crash. Either way, neither party, Laura nor the two men, stopped to ask questions. Immediately upon sight, shots are fired in both directions, with Lara coming out the winner. They left their snowmobile nearby, and Finders Keepers applies in Tibetan Foothill Survival. Hell yeah. I imagine those two guys, though, they're just sitting there in the remote area. They have no idea what's about to hit them with Lara coming. They're just, you know, one of them's <laughs> like, uh, hey, should uh, should I turn the snowmobile off or should we just leave it running? It's a pain in the ass to start. <laughs> my, my, here, no, now, here's, what, here's my, my vote. My vote is that we turn it off, right, but mm. we leave the key in there so we can re-engage the engine a, a, as soon as we need to. I don't like leaving the key in there, Billy. I, I tell you, you know, if something were to happen, our ass is on the line. I don't think anything's going to happen out here. Now, we're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, we, ha- we we are armed and dangerous, yeah. both. I'm real, um, dang- I'm real dangerous. I know, I know. I saw the way that you attacked that bowl of pudding earlier. <laughs> oh, my God, you really ate that thing hard. And I'm very proud of you for that, by the way. Uh, and I think that's the kind of vigor that I want to you to contribute to this situation as well. I really want you to uh, to, to, to be... to. No. You want me to vigorously leave a key in a snowmobile? That seems <laughs> yeah, dumb yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> I'll do it. Good, good, good. I Now, I don't want you to... Uh, to <laughs> I do agree with you, though. In order for someone to come out here and get, now I'm on your side. There'd have to, someone would have to fucking crash a plane right out here to get to us. We are in. And that is never, ever, ever going to happen. You, I can assure you of that. Did you hear that? I heard a big boom. Heard a big boom. I think I hear footsteps, too. Oh, my God. Billy, (laughs) feast your eyes upon this wonderful sight. A beautiful woman is running right for us. Oh, this is our lucky day. Surely she means us no harm. Hope she likes snowmobiles. <laughs> uh, so, using the snowmobile, hmm. uh, <laughs> Laura races through a nearby snowfield cave until she can go no further. She abandons the snowmobile to go on foot, which I, I like to imagine that the distance she traveled with the snowmobile was only like 30 feet. Like she never even had to approach those guys and kill them for the snowmobile. It's just yeah. like she'd drive 30 feet and then that, oh, that, I'm done. That contractor pops in. It was 30 <laughs> meters. About 30 <laughs> meters. <laughs> However, once she scales the side of the cave, she gets an idea. If she moves some large chunks of ice out of the way, there might be a way that she can ramp off of some rocks she sees below to get the snowmobile further into the cave. Worth a shot. Uh, Surprisingly, the plan works beautifully, and using a series of ramps and performing a number of death-defying stunts, she Hmm. manages to get the snowmobile quite far into the cave system. She reckons leads somewhere important, uh, given the armed guards from before, of course. Hmm. Sure enough, just a little further inside, more armed guards emerge and fire on her. She gets the jump on them and survives, but what are they guarding, And, and where is she exactly? She walks up to one of the bodies to retrieve some ammo from the man she just killed. He's wearing Fiamma garb. Wow. Despite the crash, she managed to end up in the vicinity of the monastery. Hell yeah. Continuing through the icy tunnels on the snowmobile, she mows down three cult members with the vehicle and does not stop, getting to a natural snowy ramp that sends her flying hundreds of feet over a chasm and to the other side. I mean, have you ever wanted a sword so bad? I have not. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, though, she goes through all of this and then we realize she's afraid of heights? She gets to the end of that ramp and it's just she's just like, fuck it, I'm not. 
<laughs> it's probably not even real. <laughs> Eventually, she does find something aside from a wall that can stop the snow that can stop the snowmobile. Another snowmobiler. This one just, you know, doing it recreationally. Yeah. In a section of the cave where she had to leave the snowmobile to pick up a key on the ground, she can hear another engine come in close and sees a man on a snowmobile who is coming at her and trying to kill her. Yikes. She snipes him off the vehicle and keeps moving to find where that key goes. Like it was nothing. <laughs> Thinking of nowhere else, she decides to go back toward the dwelling where she first got the snowmobile and killed the two guards and try it there. She can't get the snowmobile all the way back there, so goes on foot. And sure enough, the key works. Man. I think her one of her strongest traits is just remembering every locked door she's ever seen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I I own a house, okay? I own a car. Now I'm not bragging here, but I own I own lots of things with keys that okay. I access every single day. Okay. And not a single day goes by that I don't <laughs> use the wrong key and the wrong keyhole hell i get a cocaine high <laughs> level of endorphins when i insert a usb 2.0 plug correct side up into my computer on the first try wow yeah i mean i i agree i suspect laura's not driven by finding ancient relics but instead by just matching keys to keyholes the seraph here is just a coincidence <laughs> like if italian mob bosses kept old sandwiches behind locked tomb doors the name of the game would be turkey club raider <laughs> also though for what it's worth the usb goes in every time if the two holes on the connector that are really deep the two deeper holes are face up think about that next time deep holes face up not to be confused with john wayne gacy's canceled autobiography titled two deep holes face up but you get what wait, i'm saying wait 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 wait, wait, wait. hold on uh, so carry the episode for me for a few seconds i've, I've got to verify this mind-blowing USB revelation. Just one second here. Uh... <laughs> Holy <Yeah>. shit! <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, no one is waiting inside the hut. She finds some first aid and some ammo before spotting a switch on the wall. She pulls it, and a gate opens in the mountain on the other side of the building than where she's been. Two men run out toward the building she's currently in. Luckily, she hears them coming and immediately deals with them as they enter the room. Two shotgun blasts greet them as they walk inside. She collects their ammo, probably cleans off her shirt, and goes to see where they came from. Because she's covered in blood. You get it. <laughs> Once inside that gate in the mountain and inside yet another cave, she sees another cult member on a snowmobile and kills him to take it. Hell yeah. <laughs> she's just upgrading at this point. She zips through the tunnel and out of the mouth of the cave on the other side. She arrives at a giant chasm with a pool at the bottom. Seeing no other options, Lara dives in, a point of no return. She comes up for air and climbs to the shore of the water and sees a small tunnel off to the side and decides to see where it leads. To her surprise, it's to the front door of the Barkhang Monastery. Hell yeah. Wow, this is very coincidental. To her greater surprise, four men are there guarding it. To her even greater surprise, two of the men do not wish to hurt her. Well, that's new. Yeah. Wait, so so conveniently that like this time she just asks questions before shooting. That doesn't seem very Lara like. Yeah, like this time she actually sees like normally she sees like one or two guys at a time. This time she sees four and she just decides like not. It is kind of weird. Yeah, it is very weird. Maybe she has only three bullets left of her infinite ammo supply. Right. And she's like, I'm not going to risk it. You know, I mean, earlier she killed an eagle just because she saw it. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, to be fair, 
because eagles are so much smaller than humans, it was very easy to see that the eagle was packing. So <laughs> <laughs> these uh these fellas. That are you she suggesting she upon, only kills them if they're hung? <laughs> well, I meant I meant guns, but oh 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 it, oh! If you saw an eagle with a giant human dong, you probably want to kill it. <laughs> I want to mount mean. that thing one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> mount it before it mounts me. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so these two men uh, that do not wish her harm, these are monks who are also fighting against the cult members. Lara helps take out the Fiamanera, and realizing that walking through the front door won't fly with the monks, she opts to find another way in. Which is weird, because I feel like normally Lara would just murder all of them and just walk in. But now she's like, yeah. oh, sorry, yeah, I get it. I get rules of rules. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll just break in another way. <laughs> there is no welcome mat in front of the door this time. She, she understands. She scales the side of the monastery and runs across the roof and crashes into the window of the library. There are monks inside, but they are not attacking her or even asking her to leave. So, like, However, she probably could have just walked in. <laughs> yeah, she didn't have to break the glass. <laughs> How hard is it to get glass out there, too? You know, like, that's oh, not an fuck. easy repair. That's a good yeah. point. <laughs> However, she does see a number of them holding spears run down the hall on occasion to deal with cult members who have also broken in. She assists in killing them when able. There must be some mutual understanding between Lara and the monks that puts them at peace with each other. Either way, despite the monks' passiveness, the monastery is still rigged with plenty of deadly traps. Even some of those Indiana Jones boulders that come up quite often in this tale. There are enormous razor blades that roll along the floor, fire leaping out of grates beneath her feet, and a swinging spike bearing wrecking balls just vying for the chance to lop Lara's head off. Yeah, there, there is a part where Lara goes back outside and across a wooden bridge over an enormous canyon to like a completely detached part of the monastery mm. from the main building. And there's a monk guarding it, and Lara just walks up and murders two eagles right out of there. Just because, again, they looked at her funny right in front of the monk. And I wonder what, he, you know, in playing the game, I was like, what, what, I wonder what he thought about that. Like, he's just out there like, I'm uh, guarding this building. And then she just comes in, just, he's a peaceful monk, and she just murders two beautiful eagles right there. <laughs> See, your take is nicer than mine. I, I feel like this monk is sitting there just as, as soon as she shoots down these eagles, he just breathes this enormous sigh of relief, <laughs> gives Lara a giant hug and says to her, oh, you are my hero, strange lady. <laughs> Those eagles, they copulate on my windowsill and they, and they stare right at me as though... As though they know I regret my pledge of celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is so hung. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth noting here that Lara is running around the monastery in search of five prayer wheels that will give her access to the room inside the monastery where the seraph goes. The monks aren't saying much and Lara isn't asking them any questions and is instead scouring their entirety of the enormous Tibetan monastery top to bottom literally from every tower to the dank, dark sewers in search of these five prayer wheels. Now, what's a prayer wheel, you might ask? Well, it's a cylinder with symbols on it that Tibetan Buddhists who choose to accept a vow of silence could spin as a replacement for orally speaking prayers. Hmm. You'd think there has to be, like, it's a huge place. There's got to be a janitor somewhere with a master key. Like, <laughs> you don't have to go around finding five bullshit things everywhere. You know he ain't grabbing five prayer wheels every night just to go in there and vacuum twice a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love, I love the, I love imagining a monk like staying at work late, you know, to like do monk stuff, and he's sitting there like in silence doing his monk prayers or whatever, and in the background you just hear a vacuum like, 
<laughs> he looks up for a second and he's like, God yeah, damn he's it. like, oh god damn it. And this monk has a tie, just like it's you know because yeah. it's his office. Yeah. <laughs> she does have to break a glass case holding two gemstones that open a door to the monastery. Again, you might think the monks who are actively not killing her for a some reason might be willing to help her access the items, but instead she just wrecks the place at every chance. Yeah, I'm beginning to think that Laura specifically chose this mission because she knew the locals had taken a vow of pac- pacifism. <laughs> yeah, she's like, Laura's not a Tomb Raider. She's just a freaking grade school bully. Yeah, now she's giving all the monks swirlies and stealing their lunch money. <laughs> well, she probably won't get much. I mean, monks are really into fasting, so. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you think there's got to be a pop machine or something on the premise, right? Like a snack machine, get some Fritos, something like that? I don't know. <laughs> Eventually, she makes her way to the room where the five prayer wheels must be placed. Once she does, two giant doors at the end of the room swing open, and a small ramp ascends to a recess on the wall in the shape of the seraph. Oh, boy. Lara inserts the seraph, causing a hidden door to open just down to the right of the recess. She runs through and toward the catacombs of the Italian. To review, now she needs the Italian to open the door to the Temple of Xion to get the dagger. So we're one piece away at this point. Thank God. On the other side of the door are the catacombs, which start out as the snow-filled caves Laura is used to. What she's not used to, however, is being attacked by Bigfoot. What the fuck? Uh, (laughs) But sure enough, not 25 yards into these catacombs, she comes face to face with an eight-foot-tall, all-white fur, pissed-off Yeti. Jesus. Now, startled by this cryptozoological menace, she explodes it with a shotgun blast, we have to ask, will there be more of these? I mean, I always thought Probably. growing up, there was always just, the Bigfoot, there'd be just mm-hmm. one. Like, he, he was, it wasn't like Big Feet, you know? It was like, mm-hmm. right. did you see Bigfoot? And like, if we get him, then we're, it's done. There's no more. So I, yeah. I, I think it would apply to Yetis. Yeti? Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. Or, yeah. Is it like fish? Or no, is a deer? Deer and deer, it's like plural and singular is the same. Right. And multiple Yeti is just a Yeti. Would it be Bigfoots? Oh, big Bigfoot's maybe. No, I think it's Bigfoot because one of his feet is giant, and the other. So one's he normal? just has the yeah yeah the other one's just a normal dude like human foot, and then he has a giant foot. Wow. So he yep. That's oh. why he's always blurry in photographs because when he when he's like uh, he's lumbering limping. along, limping. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Wow. The catacombs are a mix of natural caves and man-made architecture. Well, we assume man-made. We we just shot and killed a yeti. <laughs> Lara goes through the passageways, and it's not long before more cult members arrive to stop her. She kills them, of course, and continues on. It's just worth noting that she's never alone, no matter how secret and hard to access her location is. Yeah, I mean, there's cult members in here hanging out with Bigfoot. No one was even talking about it. (laughs) And at Walmart, you can get your groceries, your oil changed, uh, a duplicate of your serif complete with a fancy king ring to hold it, all in one trip. (laughs) You can also get your hair cut, a a Spider-Man mask, a grapefruit, and COVID in that same trip. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, fuck God. I don't like that. (laughs) Eventually, the catacombs look less cave-like and more like purposeful man-made architecture, or Yeti-made architecture. Mm. She's far underground now, and it's very dark. Platforms beneath her feet are all she can see, with no idea how far down a fall could take her. Eventually, she finds a lever that lights the room and simultaneously opens prison cells that were in there with her. The good news is that the light revealed a fairly short drop. And the bad news is that there were three pissed-off yetis down there, <laughs> oh, no. and they're on their way up to kill Lara. She doesn't mess around with these crazy beasts and uses the grenade launcher she's been saving for emergencies to take all three out 
each with their own bang and in short order. Hell yeah. In the next area, even more yetis are on guard here, as well as white tigers, as she approaches what is known as the Ice Palace. The further she goes, the more covered in ice her surroundings become, and also more and more yetis, which do not go down easy. Laura opts for the use of her grenade launcher as often as possible, if there is enough room to operate it, of course, around these large bipedal monsters. Now I gotta ask, she's she's busy murdering all of them, but I think more important than a seraph or a dagger, evidence that Bigfoot is real would really be <laughs> awesome. She should be taking pictures or get, taking a piece of a foot or something. <laughs> That's very true, yeah. Through the ice palace, she spots a large hanging cauldron that she must find a lever to tilt. So the contents melt through the ice so she can retrieve a gong hammer oh so boy. she can whack a giant gong so that a door will open beneath the gong that leads to the talion. <laughs> now, that wasn't so hard, was it? Jesus. Now, now with the artifact in hand, Lara just needs to go to the Temple of Xion to get the dagger. All right. As she pockets the talion and steps out of the room it's resting in, she's greeted by something large, bipedal, and scary. All right. So another Yeti. Nope. Oh, uh, one, one Yeti giving a piggyback ride to another Yeti. Not quite. Oh, um, Shaquille O'Neal. <sighs> no, please. Three, wait, three more guesses, three more guesses. Just a stack of kangaroos. No. Charles Barkley. No, Travis. Hmm. Uh, that was only two guesses. You, you said three. Sorry, I was thinking. Uh, a Yeti riding a centaur bareback. No, 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 wait. Charles Barkley again. <laughs> uh, no. This mythical creature is known as the Guardian of the Talion. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> and is a, it, this thing is a very large, possibly 15 to 20 feet tall bird monster. Now, it looks like a giant pissed off pigeon that walks like it didn't wipe good enough, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, that means it's a slow mover and it doesn't fire anything at Lara, so she's able to take the high ground by finding a slab of ice that the bird monster can't reach and fire down on it with her Uzis until it falls. That's that's just not a good guardian. I mean, first, he only <laughs> shows up after she's already pocketed the Talion. Then he, he basically goes down without a fight. And lastly, I mean, it was a giant bird, which totally sucks as far as things to be. So, what it, <laughs> that sucks. And it can't fly, apparently, because she goes up to get away from it, which yeah. seems <laughs> counter to what you should do when there's a bird. True that. <laughs> Next, we see a cutscene of Lara slowly trudging through shin-deep snow, trying to be quiet. A different angle shows she's creeping because a masked guard stands in the distance, facing the other way. Trying to be quiet, she eases into the front seat of a jeep just a few feet away from the guard. She pulls down the sun visor, and the keys fall into her lap. Jackpot. God damn it. Every time I've tried this, when I want to steal a vehicle, I get hit in the face with a bunch of receipts and old CDs. There's never keys. <laughs> she fires up the jeep and turns on the headlamps and floors it before the guard can react he jumps out of the way and fires on her as she speeds away but comes up empty in her rearview mirror she sees that her jeep stealing heroics have attracted the attention of other militants who give chase with their headlights nearing closer to her from behind she continues to plow the jeep through the deep snow fighting hard to stay on the travel path ahead Another jeep gets awfully close to her, but she turns from the driver's seat and fires a single shotgun blast through the front windshield, killing the driver and causing the jeep to overturn. Then a large military transport vehicle closes in next and rams her from behind, but she speeds on, despite the gunfire heard ripping through the rear of the vehicle. A cliff looms ahead, but Lara doesn't slow down and clears a large chasm that the transport vehicle decides not to brave. 
It looks like Lara has gotten away for now. Damn. Hours later, presumably, mm. Lara arrives at the base of a desert section of the Great Wall of China, where our story this episode began. She mm. locates the Temple of Shihan and inserts the talion into the door, and the ancient mechanism starts to unlock. Oh boy. It opens to a dimly lit area, intricately adorned with colorful designs from floor to ceiling. It's a single hallway all the way toward the Dagger of Shihan that she can clearly see at the end of the hall. Oh man. She makes a running leap toward the pedestal on which it sits, but it must have been an illusion. Oh, no. She doesn't make the jump and instead falls down a gap in the no. floor that has her sliding toward a valley of bladed traps that are swinging in motion, waiting to chop her up. Ugh. She manages to leap and clear them in the last second, but continues sliding down, 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 down. No. Finally, she reaches a water chute and follows the flow to an underground cavern system and goes over the edge of a waterfall into a deep pool below. Damn. Seconds ago, she was a few inches from holding the dagger, and now, suddenly, she finds herself several hundred feet below it with no idea where she is or where to go. That contractor's like, it's, it's exactly 0.8 kilometers down. It's not several <laughs> hundred feet. <laughs> I feel like this was true for the last game, too. There seems to be a point where you think the game should end, but then it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that right there mm -hmm. was the point for this one. Just, it's been, this episode has been nearly an hour and 20 minutes. We about had it wrapped up. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying it should have ended with Laura not getting the dagger? No, no, she, I mean, she could have gotten, she could have gotten the dagger, is what I'm saying. But, but it wasn't a, a dagger, it was an illusion. No, your, br your brain is an <laughs> illusion. They could have let her get the dagger here, and call, is all I'm saying, they could have let her have it. And then, and then we, mm -hmm. you know, not the illusion dagger, like a real dagger, and just be like, "That's it. This game is good. The game is a good game right there." And but, and then we have to fall down a giant hole for three more hours. That's what your dad said about doing your mom. God damn it! <laughs> God damn it! Three hours though. That's some stamina. Yeah, he was. He had a good back. <laughs> Laura manages to swim to a surface on the far side of the cave and trudges wearily out of the water onto a small beach, although she is still underground. She finds herself in front of another Chinese temple guarded by two tigers. She dispatches each before they maul her and then finds a way into the temple, hoping to find her way up and out of the bowels of this booby-trapped ancient hellhole complete with falling floors over spikes or lava pits at every, or lava pits at nearly every turn. The action ramps up through this section as some familiar set pieces play out. In one, Laura flips a switch to open a door on the other side of the room, but needs to get there before the spiked walls close in on her and is then chased by a boulder down a hallway. There's a narrow vertical tunnel with a ladder that Laura must scale down while giant blades attempt to chop her in half. Yeah, this sucks. Yeah. Throughout the areas here, Laura has seen spiders roughly the size of her shoe come at her in the dark recesses of the underground ruins. Whenever she's seen one come at her, she's been able to shoot it and kill it before it bites. At some point, after some time of searching this enormous area for a way out, she finds herself in a long-forgotten area of the ruins where spiderwebs hang down from the ceiling. This is where Laura is introduced to one of the more imaginative creatures in this journey, a spider roughly the size of a Volkswagen. Uh, yeah, uh, check, please. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> in fact, uh, there's more than one no. of these spiders. No. Yeah. Laura kills those before noping out completely out of the cave system. A giant car-sized spider. We experienced mm -hmm. one of those in our uh, first uh, season here about Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. and I think it might be like a thing for us, right? So 
next season maybe we do Skyrim oh. and then and then Limbo. Big Spider Boys like uh, Bloodborne even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, oh oh we can also do an episode on my assumption about the underside of every toilet lid after that single time 15 years ago when I found a single spider uh, in the toilet. Uh, that, that fucking pervert. What was he doing That's, in there? Spiders are perverts, man. He's trying to get a peek at you. <laughs> Laura continues to ascend up. She has to find keys in hard-to-reach places, levers to unlock more hidden passageways, make death-defying leaps over chasms. Chasms. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that one of these times. Make death-defying leaps <laughs> over chasms that plumb to lava-filled depths just by gripping the ledges on the other side with her fingertips. <sighs> she takes out numerous predators hidden below, including tigers and the occasional underground eagle huh okay well that's interesting hey there was that underground guardian that looked like a bird earlier so maybe not hmm yeah the existence of that bird guardian somehow i guess makes underground eagles more plausible Mm -hmm. which in turn makes bird guardians more plausible right uh well yeah and then on and on it goes until underground eagles are the most logical thing to ever be conceived Hmm. good job game that's how logic works She bounces off spring-loaded tiles in the floor that launch her to otherwise unreachable platforms, but a poorly aimed attempt would end in a splat. And in the final stanza on her ascent, she must go up a tunnel with ladders spread randomly on the walls as she goes, causing her to backflip from one side to the other to make the climb up, all while large swinging blades attempt to decapitate her for a miscalculation. It's grueling, but Laura makes it to the top and out of the hellhole beneath the Temple of Xi'an. Unfortunately, when she arrives back at the pedestal where the dagger rests, she is no longer alone here. Looking from above, she spies Marco Bartoli standing with a dagger while a handful of henchmen appear to be performing some kind of ritual. Hey, 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 hey. (laughs) He's still confused, huh? He hasn't figured this thing out? (laughs) Suddenly, and nearly without warning, Marco takes the dagger with both hands, holds it out from his body, turns the end of the blade toward his chest, and plunges it through his own heart. Laura shudders. The henchmen then gather around his body and march out of the temple. Laura sneaks down to follow them. One of the henchmen was like, he looks at the other one, he's like, well, that was pretty fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know, right? I thought we were just gonna do some magic ritual tonight. Mm -hmm. I was gonna sit here and jizz on the sigil like I usually do and call out to Satan, of course. Uh, Not sure what got into Marco. Goddamn dagger got into him, that's what. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. High five. (laughs) Laura follows Marco and his goons to a very surreal land, almost like something out of a Super Mario game. This is the floating islands, where literally small green islands hang suspended in midair, and the ground below is just a darkened abyss. What is this place? It's immediately apparent this place is going to be different for a number of reasons. Uh, For example, the first thing that tries to attack Laura is a statue that suddenly becomes animate and floats in the air toward her. And, of course, she shoots it until it explodes. And I believe all of this is still underground. It's not like Laura followed the henchmen out and then climbed on a spaceship and ended up in Mario Galaxy. She's followed them into some trippy underground hellscape beneath (laughs) the Great Wall of China. It's very (laughs) weird. I I wonder what was going through the developers' heads when they were like, "Uh, we're out of wonders of the world to put Laura to we... What... What do we do? Do we just put her on a bunch of fucking floating islands in outer space? And somebody else was like, done. <laughs> just did it. I knew exactly what was going through the developers' heads. The drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Despite this place feeling out of place, given that so far at least the set pieces have felt grounded, 
It's important to remember that Lara is searching for Marco Bartoli here. After navigating the obscure floating island, even walking through an area with a ceiling made of lava, and fighting numerous animated and flying statues, she reaches an area where some Fiaminera are hanging out. Realizing she's in the right place, she kills all of them as they throw knives at her. Man, could you imagine that finding cult members is the thing that tells you you're in the right place? It's usually the opposite. <laughs> Continuing to fight her way through the animate statues, which take over 100 rounds of Uzi ammo each to take out, she finally reaches a large, dark room where the only light is on Marco's body that rests in the center. Lara warily approaches, trying to be discreet, waiting for anything to happen. And... Anything does. No. A massive explosion from where Bartoli lays sees him transform into a massive dragon that fills the room. Holy shit. Lara retreats, but the exit is locked. She must fight Bartoli in dragon form in his lair. What? The dragon is gigantic and strikes forward like a snake to attempt to bite at Lara, and then releases a spray of fire that dissipates against the wall beside her. Whoa! Yeah, impressive, but... Mm, I got one little. I got one little nitpick here. Um, okay. I know I probably shouldn't question the logic of this game, but are we really to believe that Bartoli, with barely a few seconds of dragon life uh, lived, yeah. already knows how to breathe fire? I, I don't buy it. Human babies can't hold their own shit until they're at least about two years old. Huh. Well, see, and maybe that's what we can't see. You know, it's dark in there. And maybe he's also wearing a gigantic diaper and spewing it out of oh, both yeah. ends like he stole Taco Bell from a street raccoon. <laughs> Could be that. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Maybe it's not fire. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just hot diarrhea coating Lara <laughs> in a cave. Yeah. With monks and cult members. The columns in the room are her only cover, so she sprints from one to the next to stay out of the dragon's aim. She pulls the grenade launcher from her pack and fires on the giant fire-breathing lizard. It turns its attention toward her, and she fires another before retreating back to cover. While the dragon continues to search for her and wildly sprays fire in hopes of landing a sizzling hit, Lara has snuck behind the dragon and fires multiple grenade shots on the dragon, killing it. Be careful back there, Lara. He's had street Taco Bell from a, from a varmint. <laughs> it falls without a dramatic scene. Lara walks up and pulls the dagger from its chest. Oh, there's my dagger. <laughs> she was heard saying. <laughs> this triggers the lair to start crumbling, with large quakes beneath her feet signaling it's time to go. She sprints through a previously unopened door on the far end of the lair as crumbling debris falls from the ceiling just behind her footfalls as she escapes. A fiery explosion from within the lair is now surging down her path and is hot on her heels. She leaps at the edge as the explosion propels her outward through a shaft in the Great Wall. Parts of the wall fly all over and land on the ground near where Lara lay, exhausted. She passes out. She's back home now, in her mansion. Sitting on the edge of her bed, she admires the dagger, but then hears some commotion outside. There are two large black vans with red Fiamma Nera logos on the side and several men running toward her compound. She leaps from bed and unlocks her gun closet and jumps inside. Cult members rush to her bedroom, but she's there waiting with her shotgun and takes out two back-to-back. -back. She sprints from the closet toward the balcony, where a cult member is attempting to break through, but she shoots him through the glass, dropping him. She runs to her bedroom door, taking out two masked cult members and their dogs as they rush in in search of the dagger. 
Brazenly, she sprints outside toward their vans, but doesn't find more Fiamanera, so instead searches the perimeter of her mansion, eventually taking out a handful more goons. Satisfied that they were all gone, and now dead all around her home, it's time for a shower. Naturally. Yeah, that'd be a good yeah. thing to do right there, I think, yeah. And her butler isn't around because, you may recall, uh, as every player did when playing this game, uh, he was locked in the refrigerator earlier in the game. That's right. And so, yeah, so so he's safe. Good, good thing she did that. You, f- you felt bad doing it, but you're glad you did it now. He, he's definitely safe. She's only been gone for two months, so. <laughs> and he had, all, he had all the food There's plenty of food. He had all the yeah, food Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's fine. Okay. As we hear water running and see the camera pan up from Lara's feet and legs to her robed body, we also spy the shotgun leaning against the wall beside her. She goes to undo her robe, Ooh. calling attention to the sexuality the franchise feeds upon, and then pauses, looks at the camera while reaching for the shotgun and says, Haven't you seen enough? And shoots the camera. And that is Tomb Raider 2. And now there is a dead cameraman in her bedroom as well. Can this mad woman be stopped? Find out in the next episode. That's right. The realization that she's always that there's always been a cameraman following her around throughout all of these adventures really puts a totally totally different spin on the series. It's like uh, you know the cameraman that has to follow Bear Grylls around. That poor guy. Right. Right. Exactly. He's like just, uh, just to be in his presence is yeah. awful enough. You got any more piss, Bear? Or you need some of mine. You look thirsty. <laughs> that guy's just always drinking piss. That's the joke. What were your <laughs> thoughts on this one, Caleb? Do you like Tomb Raider 2 more than Tomb Raider 1? Do you care? What ha- what's wrong? What's up? Uh, I do like it more than one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I just it's a little bit more refined, a little less rough around the edges. Yeah. Still pretty rough. I, I recently have played the reboot, two of the reboot mm. games, and those are just phenomenal right. A-plus games in my opinion. So, um, yeah, it, it, obviously not as good as those, but back in the day, I think 2 was... I preferred it more than one for sure. Yeah, and in comparing the uh, the modern uh, franchise to the old one, the old one is just steeped in weirdness. Like they really <laughs> went out of their way to think up. It was kind of like Resident Evil. They tried to find as many horror tropes as they could, and and here they're trying to find as many like cryptozoological and just anything to surprise you. So that's why you get like, I guess in the first game all the demons and stuff, mm-hmm. and then in this one just. Uh, fucking eagles i guess or a a, a a bird a 20-foot bird that just waddles around and and you kill a giant pigeon so it's like they're trying to <laughs> with the limitations of the system they're trying to give you s- some surprise but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's it's just it's it's just different like in, in the modern ones it's not like that you're just shooting basically dudes yeah pretty much it's it's interesting though when you go back and play these earlier games um as i was playing the newer ones I I can see where the seeds of all of the Tomb Raider tropes were kind of created. So even in these first two games, there's so many plane crashes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many icy caverns. Um, there's cult members, of course. And in the new ones, you've got very similar things. You've got cult members in the new ones. You've got tons of plane crashes. And, and I should also say, narrow survival of everything. Yeah. Like in these first, it's, it's comically, it's, it's absurd how often she's able to survive these things yeah. and it's the same way in the, in the new games too which kind of is a little bit jarring because the new games as you alluded to are a little bit more grounded They're, they don't really traffic in all of the the fantasy and stuff right and, and they kind of take themselves more seriously but still somehow she is able to survive absolutely impossible to survive set scenes so um but but you know it's, it's a it's an action 
game. That's what they're supposed to do. So yeah. Um, but what what about you? Did you like the second one better than the first one? I yeah, I, I think so. Um, the first one I think is just kind of tied to a better memory in that I I you know. When I beat it, it was a huge deal because it was so hard. And I beat the second one later in life when games were not quite as hard to me. So mm-hmm. I think I'm a little, you know, nostalgically married to the first, maybe a little stronger. But I think the second is is certainly better. It's it's better in a lot of ways. But I was going to mention, like, the interesting thing about, you, you know, you talked about how she's always just, just narrowly uh, overcoming some death-defying stunt that she has to pull off. And I think that's the interesting thing about when we put these scripts together, we can't let Lara fail because when she does, she dies. So these games are <laughs> extremely hard and the things that she's doing are very difficult. And we can't really like, you know, the consequence of all of this stuff is death. But mm-hmm. we can't, she can't fail at any of this or else the story doesn't really make sense. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You can't be like, yeah. And then she, she got a run and go, but she hit the wall. She didn't get it the first time, so she got back in the snowmobile, went back around, moved the block a little bit over, got back in the snowmobile. Like we, it would take forever to get through it if we made it a little more believable, because there's so much of that stuff. <laughs> That's a really good point. I never really thought about that. <laughs> very true, very true. All right, everyone. Well, that concludes episode two in this series on the first four Tomb Raider games. Now, please check out... Tomb Raider 3, it's already there waiting for you. Mm. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you know when the next season hits. A lot of work goes into making these episodes, so there is no set release schedule for Tales of the Lesser Medium. You just need to sit there and wait for it. (laughs) Yeah, idiot. Uh, If you would be so kind, though, sorry I called you an idiot, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, especially iTunes and only iTunes only because that's the only one that matters. (laughs) But if you you want to do the other ones, that's cool too. We we, we accept all. Uh, But that does help us out a ton. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so on Twitter. The show is at Tales Lesser individually. I'm at Trav Plays Games, and Caleb over there, he's at Caleb J. Ross. You can also, if you want, uh, send us an angry email about anything and everything we got wrong to polykillpodcast at gmail.com. That's one L in poly, two L's in kill. As well as check out the other podcasts we make over there. Yeah, and once again, our intro and outro theme that you can hear right now, you can hear it, uh, was lent to us by one of my favorite musicians ever, Brad Sucks. Check out his stuff on Spotify. Thank you for listening. And the tale has been told. Mm-hmm.